0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld.
1: Hello, I am the Earth. Yep, the very planet you live on. They are three words which start with the letter R, which I love. They are reduce, Reuse and recycle.
0: As much you know as the three R's were all meant to be equal, for the past 40 years, we've focused nearly exclusively on recycling. Don't get me wrong, I love recycling, but in the meantime, our consumption of stuff, particularly single-use plastics, has gone through the roof. We basically ignored the first of the R's, reduction. The next R, reuse, is kind of the easiest. Think how many times we reuse a ceramic coffee mug, or think of the utility of a refillable glass beer bottle. Reuse comes in many shapes and sizes, and today we're going to focus on what happens when one person no longer has use for an object, and yet that product still has a lot of life left in it. The possibilities are endless, from antique furniture stores to used bookshops to secondhand vinyl to vintage clothing. But these outlets just scratch the surface. Each year in the U.S., we send 140 million tons of material to the landfill. Just for context, the average house with everything in it weighs about 180 tons. That means we throw away the equivalent weight of 770,000 homes each year. And it turns out that a lot of what goes to landfill can be reused. This week, Podship Earth goes to Urbanor, a reuse mecca in Berkeley, California, where I talk with Ida Belisle and Max Wexler, and then I travel across the bay to Building Resources, a treasure trove of deconstructed home parts, where I talk with Ed Dunn and Kevin Drew. Urbanor was founded in 1980 by Dan Knapp and Mary Lou van der Ventner with the mission to end the age of waste. At the 130,000-square-foot ecopark, the chances are, if it can be reused, you'll likely find it at Urban Ore. The company takes in up to six tons of salvage building materials, appliances, household goods, electronics, and collectibles every day, reducing the load on area landfills in the process. Who says all good things must come to an end? I start at the Folger Avenue entrance to Urban or, where Ida Belial is sorting mixed boxes of stuff just brought in from donation.
2: So, we generally sort into three major categories. At this stage, we're doing what we call the pre sort, where things get put into categories of hardware. Arts and media, which is all of our electronics, art supplies, music-related equipment, cords, which we get a lot of, and then housewares, kitchenware, bric-a-brac, that sort of thing. So this is kind of like the first organizational stage. And from here, it goes into the warehouse, where we then continue to sort into smaller categories and price and appraise everything before it goes out into the store.
0: Do you look at it and think, oh, we should have not let this stuff in? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. we got some wind chimes a basket what what is that and like a, a...
2: decorative cat <laughs> honestly this is the kind of stuff that i find more interesting or kind of funny i think one thing that is interesting about urbanore is that it's very relative so depending on who's out here receiving they may see a value in something that someone else may not and i think the same is true of the people that shop here so i try not to be too strong in my opinions about what may or may not have value But also, I think sometimes people that come here to donate don't fully understand how big of a priority for us reuse is. So, we do often get somewhat treated like the dump, but there's opportunities even in those drop-offs. Sometimes people dropping off stuff that they think is garbage don't know the value of it either. So, yeah, it kind of runs the gamut.
0: (laughs) Okay, and how did you get into this game? Like, how did you first... Um,
2: I used to shop here when I first moved here, as Urban Ore has kind of a reputation for being a sort of wacky treasure trove, I think, especially for, I don't know, my background was like in in music and punk music and DIY scenes and, you know, artists who... Both didn't necessarily have, like, institutional or financial access to a lot of materials. So I knew about this place as a place to come and kind of dig for things that I could use in my own art practice or my musical practice or if I ever needed (laughs) furniture. Which, I mean, part of that, too, is just, like, I think a kind of not a millennial-specific thing, but having kind of a disdain for major corporations and feeling like I didn't really want to spend my money at places like IKEA and also just knowing that capitalism creates an insane amount of waste and that I don't know, things being pre-owned I think for some people is seen as like dirty or it's like a class Mm. thing and that's just kind of the opposite of how I feel. Mm. And then I was laid off from a job in a restaurant at the beginning of the pandemic, and went almost a year without work. And Urbanora was hiring, and I used to know someone who was the guy who would go to the dump and salvage at the dump, and just figured I'd go for it. Yeah, so that's kind of my my story.
0: <laughs> it sounds like you had a really thoughtful and kind of intentional view towards stuff to begin with, but like, how has it changed now? You had. You see so much just stuff mm. coming through.
2: I don't know that it's changed so much as it's just been affirmed. It's kind of shocking to me. And again, this kind of feels like it's related to class or socioeconomic position. But sometimes I can't believe the things that people just bring here and part ways with without batting an eye. A lot of which are things that like, I feel like I would never... able to (laughs) purchase or own firsthand. You kind of witness the effects of like what I think of as a kind of American consumerism here as you see people bring their things and part ways with them and the things that they get rid of. Because also there is a lot of stuff that you just wonder about where these things will end up, which there's probably more plastic binders in the world than there are human beings at this point. You can really distinguish things that have been manufactured recently and with a certain principle in mind versus things that are handmade or specialty or just from a different time period with like different levels of craftsmanship and care I think that went into the production so yeah it's very interesting there's a story behind a lot of the things that we we see come into the, the receiving dock it's a fun place it's really cool it's I think for anyone that has an interest in Things uh, and other people's things. It's a very interesting place to work. I don't know anywhere else like this. So, yeah.
0: Okay, so we're here at the end of the sorting line with uh, Max Wexler, who you're the operation manager at Urbanor and uh, have been here for five years. Uh, Max, maybe start by um, explaining the concept of gross national product.
3: It just refers to this whole... uh other often ignored aspect of our economy, which is all the stuff that still has a lot of value that people no longer want. And so our job is to recover that, whether it is a lava lamp or windows and doors or a decorative cat. People come to us, they drop off, say, a love seat and end up buying, you know, a Hello Kitty uh, doll, you know, or vice versa. We're in the back of the like three acres right this lot yes it is a three acre lot Uh, that's a 30,000 square foot warehouse and then we have three auxiliary buildings Uh, this is called building two or the salvage and recycling building Um, this is where I first started here in 2011 this is where we process scrap metals mostly and other materials for recycling we're mostly known as a reuse facility Uh, we also handle hundreds of tons of recycling of various categories, including metals, ceramics, porcelain, plastics, cardboard, paper, glass. Bins of metal, copper, and glass, and, yeah. That green container is full of glass, which gets hauled off to strategic metals in Stockton. And I think we get a penny or two a pound. Um, with that said, it costs $126 to send it to landfill so we're actually saving a lot of money by recycling it. Well, here we have bathtubs over here and sinks and windows. Kind of difficult to describe the circus here in words. So, Max, what's in, in here? This is something I've been working on over the last few years, and that is reused solar panels. Solar panels are retiring, um, the market's mature enough where, say, a family in Marin is putting up a new roof. There's a 15-year-old solar system on the roof. They take it down. Rather than put that system back on the roof, they want the new technology. And normally, folks have to pay to get rid of solar panels. And then we can take them and try to get them to folks who could really use them at a deep discount price.
0: Behold, wow, that is so cool. Look at all these solar
3: panels. So you, you got a lot of them. The story started in December of 2016. We rescued two flatbed trucks loads full of solar panels. Um, it was an installer who got booted out of their warehouse from their landlord. And we took a gamble by accepting these panels, and we ended up selling out, no returns. And ever since, I've gotten in contact with solar installers and trying to make connections to basically build a secondary solar market from scratch. So, yeah, we've sold over 800 panels. Urban ore would like to be a regional hub for solar, reuse solar. Um, That would be awesome. That's one of my long-term visions. People use the word recycling a lot,
0: but when it came to the three R's, it was reduce, reuse, recycle. But for some reason, we like glommed onto the recycle and this is like one
3: of the meccas for reuse tell us about why reuse is so important yeah when we say reduce reuse recycle that is the actual order of the hierarchy of highest and best use you know management of resource recovery so recycling like involves transportation and energy to convert materials into a new form. So reuse is above that. Basically, people bring us stuff. All of the energy and the cultural value that went into that material is preserved. And one person's trash is another's treasure, right? Like, this is an intuitive concept that is rather universal across cultures. We provide 30 living wage jobs Um, in the city of Berkeley 26 full-time and we're currently hiring three and we also provide materials to the community at the best prices imaginable and so there's all these economic multiplier effects when a small contractor comes here and gets a vintage door that you can't get anywhere else or vintage door hardware and they can get a, a decent price and that increases the margins on their jobs, or just folks coming here who depend on us for affordable goods. Also, we pay out both cash and store credit to folks for bringing us high-end merchandise to incentivize a quality supply of stuff coming in. Environmentally, keeping all the stuff out of the landfill, helping the city of Berkeley reach its climate goals. That's why I believe reuse is better than recycling and way better than wasting. Love it, let's keep walking. So what was your first job here? What are we looking at? My first job included breaking all of these toilets so that they can be shipped off to a recycler in San Jose. Why do you need to break the toilets before they can be recycled? Well, as you can see, there are some other materials included with the toilets, including uh, brass and copper fittings and some plastic as well. So those need to be source separated here. It Yeah, it's a, it's a good way of getting
0: some aggression out at the beginning of the day.
3: Yeah, I would put on Rage Against the Machine and take out some rage on society. <laughs> it was cathartic, honestly. And what keeps you going day in, day out? This is a tough job. Honestly, I feel like this job gives me a purpose in life. Right now the company is at a really interesting time in its history and that the owners are ready to retire. I honestly believe um, that it's my purpose to help them reach that goal and to transition this company into the future. They have a vision of Urban Ore being a 100-year-old company. I can't emphasize enough the amount of work and blood, sweat, and tears that the crew here has put in, and so I just want to continue that legacy, and um, that's when I'm deep down in the muck. That's honestly what keeps me going. There's some nice garden furniture. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, I mean, and our customer clientele is so diverse um, in every way. And that really strengthens us as a company, you know, from every socioeconomic class, artists and teachers, diggers, contractors, hipsters. I mean, they're all here. You'll see them walking around and it's a beautiful thing. This is our clothing department, our uh, gallery section here. So particularly funky, rare, antique, odds and ends. We got type, really cool typewriters
0: like those. I mean, yeah, this is, this is like a, an antique
3: store right here. A grandfather clock, really old paintings. I do believe we have one of the best selections of VHS in the Bay Area. Judgment Day, this is my mom's favorite movie. Terminator, yeah.
0: Judgment, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. You, so how much would that set you back?
3: Oh, a full 50 cents plus tax. Mm.
0: We've got Horatio Hornblower, have you ever seen that? That's a really yeah, good series. Is it? Yeah, awesome series. I was just talking to Marcus, my son, about it. I would, it's if you got British. a VHS Player, uh-huh. I would get that. I don't. <laughs> okay. I would Look, the good news is, Max, right here is one.
3: There's a difference between organized chaos and disorganized chaos, and we see our jobs as keeping the chaos as organized as it's willing to be. Yeah, and it feels like you're winning. <laughs> Thanks. That honestly means a lot to me. <laughs> okay, let's
0: keep going. Okay, look, we can talk to this lady here. What are you looking for today?
4: Um,
2: actually a stool. I want a place to have happy hour drink or coffee, so I just need one. I have tons of chairs, so way yeah. cheaper than buying new, and it's, you know, better to get something that doesn't have a place to be.
0: Awesome, and this is a really solid one.
3: I think it's $3? three dollars.
0: Three dollars would be ridiculous. So, yeah.
3: Awesome. Well, congratulations. I love it. This is Jim. He's a regular. Uh, Jim is a natural uh, sound replicator.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Jim was doing that with a dollar bill in his mouth. That was awesome. Thank,
1: Thank you, Jim.
0: You.
3: Okay.
0: Okay. Now we're in the tool, old tools. Hardware. Hardware. All kinds of plumbing.
3: This is uh, cabinets, shelves. Over there we have mirrors. I'll show you the doors. We have over 6,000 doors in stock. And people come for a specific door? Yeah, so we have uh, over a dozen categories of doors to make it easy for the customers to find the right one. Dan, our founder he early on devised systems for organizing categories of merchandise with door as the doors as the example and make it easy for the customer to find what they're looking for because that's basically what this is all about right folks bring us a whole bunch of different types of stuff and it's our job to like reverse engineer and how much how much stuff are we keeping out of landfill by doing this, we believe that we keep seven to eight thousand tons out of the landfill annually. So we're in Berkeley. Berkeley got a good rep for thinking about reuse, recycling. Like, how do you how do you connect to the city? We have a contract with the city to salvage at the transfer station. There's a clause in the Berkeley Municipal Code from 1976 that mandates salvaging, and that's how we got started. We get. Seven to 800 tons of really nice stuff to sell for reuse. We save the city the disposal tipping fee that they have to pay to send it to the landfill in Altamont. In June of last year, the city reinstated our salvage service fee. So the city is compensating us financially for every ton that we keep out of the landfill. It's actually the same amount that they pay to send it to the landfill, which is forty-seven dollars and seventy-four cents. We have a crew of three people there every day, uh, except for Sundays, and we pull an average of three tons a day.
0: Amazing. So, what's the future of reuse, Max? Uh, like, we're we're buying more and more crap that's destined for landfill. You know, how, how do we, how do we do a U-turn as a society and What does Ebenor teach
3: us? So we need to collectively make a paradigm shift in our thinking in terms of refusing all of the bullshit that's been pandered on to us by society uh, in our lifetimes about what success is and the material connection with success. The path we're on right now is not viable. We are very overwhelmed here with the amount of stuff coming in, and it's just the tip of the Wasteburg. Eight Goodwills recently closed in the East Bay, and that's really sad for reuse, and a lot of that stuff is coming to us. One of the reasons that they cited closure is they're getting such a supply of stuff but not enough demand. We need urban ores in every concentrated population of 100,000 people, we need to salvage at every transfer station. We need to create these jobs, these green-collar jobs, um, and create these economic multiplier effects, create these economic benefits, create these societal benefits. It's a ecosystem of reuse. You know, reuse is a concept as ancient as human civilization. I am optimistic because it's an intuitive concept that anyone can believe in, and I would like to help incubate more urban ores all across the country. Love it. Thank you, Matt.
1: California
0: One of the most successful reuse projects to be inspired by urban ore is building resources in San Francisco, which has been going strong for 25 years. The one acre lot is dedicated to reusable building and landscaping materials and project ideas are demonstrated throughout the buildings and gardens, all of which are built using 100% reused materials. I talk with Ed Dunn and Kevin Drew, both of whom have been here since the beginning. Ed now runs building resources and Kevin helps the city of San Francisco reach their zero-waste goals. Building resources is in the last corner of San Francisco that hasn't been turned into high-end condos. I ask Ed to give us the history of this part of San Francisco.
1: This part of town was called Butcher Town maybe 75 years ago when they were bringing in uh, meat on the hoof and slaughtering it here. And and Islas Creek was famously contaminated that way. I call it the only, San Francisco's only neighborhood without neighbors. Actually, like six months ago, they set up a COVID FEMA camp around the corner. So actually now we have a couple hundred neighbors for the first time.
0: Behind us is building resources
1: So originally, San Francisco Community Recyclers, which started building resources in 1995, had this space as a bottle and can processing site for uh, up to 20 different neighborhood recycling centers that uh, the city had up in uh, in the 1980s. So for the last 26 years now, it's been building materials, uh, reused building materials.
0: And how did you come up with the idea of of creating a place that people could bring building materials to reuse?
1: In one sense it was sort of a conscious effort to replicate what was going on in Berkeley very successfully um, with urban ore and so we thought that having something like that over here um, would be a a good idea. So for various reasons we're lucky that we hit on the building materials, stuck with that and developed that project because it's been really successful. It's been a growth area here and across the country. A lot of the growth in recent years has come from um, deconstruction of whole buildings. What's driving that, to some extent, is people being able to get a tax write-off. And it turns out that the appraisals that are underpinning the tax write-off that's paying for the extra cost of deconstruction, which is the reversed, you know, it's like you build a house. It's building a house in reverse. So you take it apart, you you know, one piece at a time. You take the nails out and you conserve everything that um, could could be reused. And um, and in and of itself, that's a great thing. Okay, so you got this house. Right.
0: And... Like, what's the traditional way? If you're not going to deconstruct it, what happens?
1: So traditional demolition happens generally like a big bulldozer, or a backhoe. And, and it might take a day or two. We'll knock the building down and then send it to maybe to a and d recovery site where maybe the wood might have been pulled out in some fashion. Metals might have been set aside. So, so it might have been some recycling, low-end, kind of low-grade recycling, um, but a lot of it probably would, would go to the landfill as well.
0: So C&D is construction and demolition debris. Right. These people are still trying to put the uh, couch on the roof.
1: I'm amazed that they're. that's a couch that, that will seat 20 people, and I'm amazed that, that small car, it's sort of like the old car cram, it's amazing that they've got a couch that's three sections fitting into that small vehicle. Three sections, it's a giant U-shaped couch. Can I ask you a question, ma'am? So, so you just bought a couch
0: from building... it re- has got a booth. A, a booth?
2: Oh, and it's a beautiful booth with it's a table a booth. in the middle.
0: Wow. You could fit probably a good 10, 12 people on there. And how did you think about coming here?
2: Uh, this is my first time. He's been trying to talk me into it. We went to the, uh, another place in Sacramento, and then we came here. I'm redecorating, and we didn't get everything that I really came here for, <laughs> but I nice. am going to come back and get more marble top because I'm doing a whole kitchen thing. I saw
0: sinks and everything, but just
2: not everything. But there's so much here.
0: And how much was the couch?
2: Well, it was 400 and she gave it a t- for 300
0: uh, if you are going to buy it new, I mean, or, oh you my couldn't. Oh god,
2: this yeah. is like beyond like $5,000. Yeah, it's
0: Especially amazing. How
2: big and, a big old and it's in great shape. It's huge.
0: And what is your name? Antoinette. Antoinette, thank you so much. Okay, so here we go. You've got sea shipping containers overflowing. How many doors do you think you have here? Uh, at last count, we had about 1,300. Okay, all different kinds of doors. Yes.
1: I mean, principally we're looking for solid wood doors uh, and so in San Francisco that means a lot of uh, doors from Victorian housing.
0: So if you're remodeling your home and there's two scenarios, one is you're trying to get a door that kind of looks Victorian, it's right. pretty hard to get.
1: Yes, and so a place like this would be, the, I'd say, the
0: first place you'd want to go. You know. And if it didn't come here, it would just end up in the landfill or what would happen to the door?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good bet that it would end up in the landfill.
0: Yeah. So let's pick, pick. Tell me about some of the particular doors. Here, let's have a look well, the at
1: them. The best door we ever had is not here anymore. It was a, it was a, it was a temple door from uh, India, from a temple in India, and it was exported by, I think, an Indian guy, and he kept it in storage for years couldn't use it finally he, um, he wanted to get rid of it and, and donated it to us it was we, it was priced I think he paid $6,000 for it like 20-25 years ago and and we had it priced there we started there we eventually sold it for 5 grand but it was solid wood it was huge it was multiple pieces with miter joints uh, you know it took a forklift for us to put together but it was beautiful we had it behind the cast register for maybe 6 months um, that was probably the best door we ever had it had these, these, this, these hardware attachments these brass knobs on the door at intervals, and it, it was it was to prevent a uh, elephant from using its head to push open the door to get inside the temple to get the the, the sacrifice. So I guess they use food maybe in, in their religious uh, practice there, and so it was to protect the, the temple from getting raided by elephants, uh, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: I love it. So the thing about this place is like each thing
1: has a story. That's true. We get so much of everything. There might be 10 times more supplying customers than there are buying customers so we're always caught in the middle between those those two and so we, we have to be selective um, or else we fill up too quickly and and so with like toilets they're gonna you know want to be kind of a higher end and better condition and
0: does that frustrate people people come all the way with their well, that yeah. clawfoot foot tub and you say well, no yeah.
1: when, when we're talking to folks on the phone you know we're always pretty careful to say you should have a plan b if we can't take the stuff or when we um say is it something that you would want to put in your house if you were working on a project now and that if you tell people that then they're like oh okay
0: <laughs> i like this um this is a very fancy black it? Porcelain oh, yeah. I mean, with gold taps.
1: I mean, it's got the funk. You can you can tell it's got the funk, um, right, Kevin? Yeah,
0: it looks like it came out of a 1970s funk movie. I love it. Is this black toilet? Do you think connected to the black sink?
1: Oh, I uh, undoubtedly. Okay. Undoubtedly, that, no question. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful great. marble.
0: So Kevin, you run recycling in San Francisco, like San Francisco's a recycling leader, but we've had it's had a hard time with reuse and reduction. Yeah.
4: Yes, absolutely. We tried with the bulky item collection, which is the, the the things like this, the doors, the windows, the whatnot, that you could put out five or actually it's ten per year. But we tried to have a truck go out that took those carefully and brought them back to a place like this. It was too much, the labor is too expensive. It just wasn't make sense, and they wouldn't handle it carefully. And then, what Ed was saying, there wasn't a really, really well developed market for that. What's happening now with the reuse that you heard about? Part of that is driven by carbon intensity, and now we're trying to reduce the the carbon footprint. And so people will buy a reused thing because they they understand it from a different perspective why they should do that. But that's still onesie twosies. It's really going to be hard to to see how we scale up reuse into a massive kind of uh, movement that we need, it actually still is cheaper to put stuff in a bottle and use it 6, 10, 12, 20 times. It actually becomes cheaper per unit of de- of delivering fluid to the consumer. But it has these other issues that are, we've destroyed the system that was there. We're trying to rebuild it. It's it's a noble effort. Uh, San Francisco is a leader in that. California is a leader in that. Uh, I don't know. If are we really? It doesn't feel like we're that much of a leader. It feels like everyone else is leading I mean, compared to Europe, compared to Mexico, yeah. compared to much of the, the Africa, they're still reusing
0: bottles. You're right. Because, yeah. like in Africa, I remember remember that one, like the gods must be crazy, yeah, oh, and, the, Coke bottle. Yeah, yeah, and the Coke right. bottle. Yeah, 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 the Coke bottle, the bottle is worth more obviously than what's in
1: it. This is a problem of affluence of American, you know, the wealth of the country to come up with, have be so rich that you can you can you know come up with these disposable packages, you know, things that are only going to be used one time for ten seconds.
0: So what's the deal? <laughs> what's the deal with all these toilet lids?
1: So, I mean, this is like a toilet tank lid library and finding a toilet tank lid, you know, there, you know, the right shape and all the rest, it may not be possible. If you break your toilet tank lid, it's possible that you might be into having to get a whole new toilet, but you could probably match that toilet tank lid. We recommend putting the two pieces together and then tracing it on a piece of cardboard. So you have, you don't have to run around with the toilet tank lid itself. And then you come down here and match it to the tracing on a piece of cardboard. So you get the right shape lid for your broken toilet tank lid.
0: What other kind of tips do you have for people before they come here? One was- uh, Important measure. one, which so <laughs> measure stuff.
1: Yeah, you measure, measure twice, shop once.
0: And now we're into the biggest section of all windows.
1: Window. The window section takes a big footprint, um, all sorts of windows over here. Well, obviously, replacing a big with window is a pretty big project for people, so...
0: I mean, that you, one over there... It's that, very large. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's amazing you can get these things in here.
1: And that one might have come from the suburbs, even, because it's so tall. It doesn't look like something that was from a house and stuff. Well, I mean, we pick a, uh, we, we've pick. we gone as far away as Sacramento and Santa Cruz to, for pickups of, of building materials, so... Uh, you, uh, you actually Actually, go and pick them up. We pick them up sometimes. In certain cases, we will pick up uh, larger quantities, of specialized materials, what have you. Someone bought it for, for an movie. art project. They bought it for you know for an art project, which is which is sort of like the last uh, you know possibility for some stuff to be used when it's broken. Which but is kind
0: of cool. So you have artists that come by. Lots of artists. We're definitely a, definitely a resource park. So even in a in a super progressive, super entitled perhaps a city like San Francisco that cares a lot about recycling, they spent a lot of time wanting to close down the recycling center. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, and so, I mean, the Haydash Ashbury Neighborhood Council Recycling Center behind Keysar Stadium um, was evicted famously in 2010, and finally we left in the first week of 2013 after a court battle. And within short order, from 2013 through 2015 or 16, um, San Francisco went from Twelve or so recycling centers to one or two recycling centers, and it's just wildly out of compliance with the California Bottle Bill because you're supposed to have one recycling center for uh, well every big supermarket. We used to average one for every thirty-three thousand residents or yes. something like this, and now it's two for eight hundred thousand.
0: And is that Ed because San Francisco loves recycling? They just don't like recycling centers.
1: Well, I mean, I mean the people that are using recycling centers are um, are poor and and some of them are homeless, and so uh, it's just something. People don't want to see. The notion spread all the way to Fresno, and Fresno straight up passed a law that said you couldn't have recycling centers, um, like, a period. And that got thrown out by the courts. It was just too. It was too extreme. Since the recycling center uh, closure wave, we've seen an explosion in breaking into cars, for instance. Um, and and whether or not that's cause and effect or what's going on with that, like I said, criminologists haven't haven't picked it apart. But it certainly happened.
0: Are those just your ladders, or Ooh,
1: no, 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 no? Those are ladders for sale.
0: Those are some good ladders.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, and we even got like there's a wooden extension ladder in there, in that second one on that first first row, uh, wooden extension ladder, which uh, I haven't hadn't seen for quite some time. I mean, usually they're aluminum.
0: A beautiful ladder. <laughs> We're opening the magic door. So this is this is like the treasure. Where the treasure is. Look at all those lights.
1: Treasure chests up there. Look at that. Those are bona fide treasure chests.
0: Let's go. Let's go and see them. Um, what are we going to go treasure? Actual treasure chests? Well,
1: those are just big steamer trunks. I guess they call them steamer trunks, but you know, old-fashioned uh, luggage, I guess. Right? Sounds, yeah. Those are genuine. They're not that replicas. That's in the day when you really you use this sort of thing and you
4: handed this down. This like lasted going went across the ocean. And, People dragged it out from across the country. It's amazing how stuff like this would last. You traveled with this and and the one below that, the one below that even looks nicer, Ed, look at that. Is that a wooden one? Yeah, leather maybe. Leather straps. Back to the point about convenience. Now we're looking for uh, Amazon. Everything's delivered and we sit in our, do our Zoom and we get stuff delivered.
0: What about all these lights?
1: Uh, chandeliers up above and overflow chandeliers here on the tables in front and, and the glass shades that will go on certain kinds of uh, lamps.
0: What, what is it that's going to help a place like building resources do better in the future?
4: I don't know deconstruction uh, requirement, Ed. I mean, I you've had but, some but, but
1: the market. So, so deconstruction is addressing the source of supply. So we say we can't destroy a house anymore or build anymore. We're going to have to take it apart by hand and get all those uh, components recovered and into back into the market. But who's going to buy it?
0: What about? Here's another idea. What about? If, if in order to get your lead certification in San Francisco, you have to get these points.
1: Yes, and that would be fantastic as well. So to lead, you know, would help would help drive a certain segment of the market to shop uh, or or source materials from operations such as ours. Those
4: are laws that are going into place that are going to go into buildings in the future.
1: Portland is showing the way they passed a deconstruction ordinance mandatory for any structure built before 1940. And the interesting thing is is that the demolition companies that stayed in and started to do con- deconstruction opened up their own stores, either on the site that they were demoing or, or nearby, and starting to sell the lumber directly themselves. And so, so they, they turned into retailers of building materials that they had gotten from their jobs. And it's having an impact, I think, up there um, and in terms of the, the amount of lumber that has to be cut and used to, to satisfy you know, the urban lumber market there in Portland. And, and, and especially if it's old growth, so it's going to be higher quality than the, than, than the newer uh, lumber that's coming out of trees that are second- and third-generation trees. And so there's that consideration as and well. it creates lots of jobs. It does create lots of jobs. That, and that's, that's a really important thing to remember.
4: And those jobs are going away, and those skills are going away. We almost need to keep the jobs just so we can have somebody who can fix a door in, in down the road because we're losing a lot of that craftsmanship that's there. And it's funny, but it, just the smallest piece of wood can really provoke a lot of emotion when it's placed in a building. We, we would sell a lot of windows here at Building Resources, where we just sell the 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 old-fashioned wood sash window with four, six, or eight panes, and people would just put it up on the inside of their... 1990s or 1950s poured concrete building and it just gave that room life that you can't get any other way than with a piece of wood or you know something that's used and has some feeling to it. It's a, it's a funny thing to miss, but I think we are going to miss it.
0: So maybe it's just good for the soul. It,
4: it is, it is, it's good for my soul and uh, I wish I did more.
0: A huge thank you to Ida Belial, Max Wexler, Ed Dunn, and Kevin Drew for sharing their reusable stories with PodShip Earth today. If you ever get the chance to go to either Building Resources or Urban Ore, you'll be treating your senses to a magical journey into the everyday things that are part of the human story. Each time we buy something disposable, we are diminishing our experience of life. Throwing objects away without ever understanding their origin or meaning is not sustainable for our souls. By connecting with an object's story, their materials, their craftsmanship, the object's history in our homes, we help define ourselves. Each record that I have contains a memory of when I heard the music, who I was with, when I saw the musician live. By buying reused things, we are helping the story continue. We are helping undercut the status of new things being better when we know they're not. We're creating green jobs, we're saving the planet, but mainly we're saving ourselves from the corrosion of a disposable society. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. Please share Podship Earth with a friend so we can continue to spread the word. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jerry Blumenfeld, Spend a week observing what you buy and what you throw away and what you'll keep forever or at least until someone else can
3: reuse it.